This is Not Quite Dead, a gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies, but sometimes we really just like to keep it shallow. I'm your host, Kate. I'm Megan. Get ready for all the spoilers. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll just say I, I've rewatched only maybe the first four or five seasons of The Office, probably three or four times. Okay. Probably up until Jim and Pam's wedding. And then mm-hmm. after that, I've That's maybe great. seen, I've seen them all once, maybe two for maybe half of those. The last three seasons, I've only seen the one time. Me too. Okay. Man, but James Spader is so good. He's so good as Robert oh, yeah. California. He's so fucking funny. Yeah, that guy's yeah. a terrific actor. Yeah. Um, rewatching it recent, like rewatching it in quarantine, I will say the Kathy Bates stuff bothered me less because I really felt like when I watched it previously that she was in a different show than everybody else. Like it just felt like she didn't fit here. And I will say rewatching it within quarantine, I was like, oh, it's actually not as bad as I remember. It's not that bad. It's and she's pretty minimal in the show anyway. So, I guess I, it didn't bother me as much. You just have to be okay with the loss of Stephen Carell. You just have to, like it's like <laughs> so <laughs> formal. Stephen. <laughs> His friends call Mr. him Stephen. Stephen James Carell. Yeah, it's it's funny that we bring up the Office rewatchings because Gravity is one of those movies that I've tried rewatching for comfort. I've literally put on For gravity. Comfort. Yes. I <laughs> Okay. Because I love it. <laughs> I My palms sweat through 85 <laughs> minutes of this 90 minute movie. I know. I know. It, it was after maybe like a year of not watching it and I was like I couldn't sleep and I woke up and it's the middle of the night and I'm like let me just go out to the living room and put on something that might put me back to sleep. And I I'm like, why not why not gravity? It's dark. It's a dark movie, right? It's in space. There's not a lot of light, except from Earth. And every time the sun shines. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, overall, it's pretty pretty soothing. So I'm like sleeping on the couch or trying to sleep on the couch. I'm like, what am I thinking? I can't. This is not one of the... I can put on almost any horror movie and just fall asleep to it because horror is silly. Mm-hmm. This is this is only the the second time I've watched this. Really? I saw it in theaters. Me too. I had a very memorable theater experience because Did you go to IMAX? This uh yeah, we were in IMAX. Nice. Um and we were Brad and I were there together. We were so excited to see this movie. Uh we're fairly close to the front like um you know, in the first couple of rows like which we don't normally prefer, but that's what was left. Yeah. And so we sit down, we're on time. I'm a big I'm very anal retentive about my movies like I want to be there with plenty of time to see all the yeah, the previews, yeah. All, all the previews and everything. <laughs> and you need to get and, your candy. Yeah, exactly. So right before the movie starts, literally as the opening credits are coming across, this older woman comes in and it's winter and she, uh, it's, or it's October. Oh or God, I forgot day. all about this. And she sits down right next to me in the empty seat that's right next to me. She has on a big puffy winter jacket 
right? She goes to take it off after she's sitting down. So the sleeve of this thing goes flap right across no. my chest. <laughs> and like the movie's just started. I am so excited for the new Quaron movie that looks amazing. And you're reading all those and this starts, super scary yeah. space facts. <laughs> she now for the next uh, I'd say 45 minutes. She's hemming and hawing, making all these little noises throughout the movie. And then, of course, George Clooney floats off, right? And she now gets up and leaves the theater. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? Right? I was like, great. Good. Good riddance. She, she's gone for at least 30 minutes. Oh. This oh, movie isn't that back. long. The movie yeah. is not She long. comes back. She comes she's back to the third minutes. act. <laughs> it's a long time. 15, 15 minutes, maybe. 30. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The rest of the movie. Either way. She We're going to edit that out. It's only it's 30 minutes, guys. George 30 Clooney minutes. is back. <laughs> Right. Uh She comes back, sits down. George Clooney has now returned to the movie in the dream. And she leans over to me, a stranger on opening night of this movie and goes, how did George Clooney get back? And I just, I just shake my head and I go, no. And I'm like, how fucking, it was like my most Larry David moment of my entire life. where I was just like, this lady was just needling me from the beginning of this movie. Uh, needless to say, How this is a she? wonderful viewing experience. Second time through, <laughs> yeah, alone in my apartment. I totally forgot about that until you just started telling the story. I was like, "Oh right, she comes back and like, what? What happened to Clooney?" Like, yeah, I'll never. You don't get it. You don't deserve to know. Listeners, You've lost the privilege. Like, this is the climax of the movie. Leave me alone. Listeners, that is an example of a nasty woman. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Rude. I can't think of a no better theory. way to introduce our guests for this episode though uh (laughs) chris maxwell and brad davis from high on film hi guys yay hello hi thanks for having us thank you so much for having us we're so excited to have you guys back we were uh on their show back in uh december christmas times we were we were on their show for last christmas we mentioned santa when we were watching sunshine Right, Santa. I, I didn't refer to her as her character name. I just called her Santa the whole episode. Michelle Yao, same yeah. character. Uh, <laughs> same character, Santa from Last Christmas, reprising yep. her role in the <laughs> sci-fi horror 2007 movie Sunshine. Went back in time to do it as Santa. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I know her forever now because of High on Film. So welcome welcome to our show. We're so happy to have you guys to talk about Gravity. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited to talk about this movie. I, I actually just went through Alfonso Cuaron's filmography and realized I've seen all but two of his movies, and I think I love every single one of them. <laughs> what, are, what are the two that you're missing? Uh, I have not seen his first feature-length film. I can't remember the title. Uh, but it's a it's a Mexican made film, mm-hmm. and uh, the second one is first English uh, language film, uh, The Little Princess. Oh, I was obsessed with that movie as a child, and it's devastating. I went back and watched it as an adult, and I was like, "There's like a lot of real sad stuff in here for what's ostensibly a children's movie." It's it's kind of a sad book, right? Mm-hmm, it is. Yeah. yeah. It's a 7.7 on IMDb, which floored me for like a children's movie to be that high. Oh, that high. Yeah. 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 Oh, no, that's pretty. Well, for IMDb ratings, they're they're that's true. That's true. (laughs) I bet Prisoner of Azkaban's that high. And that's a kid's movie. Oh, man. Well, also a good Quaron movie. Yeah, they're all good. When I was watching Gravity again in prep for this episode, um, I was really floored by how good it was. And I, I forgot that it was a Quaron movie. And when I re- and when I saw his name in the credits, I was like, oh, that's why this movie is so good. That makes sense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there is one reason. I 
don't think I'm as familiar with this director um, until Gravity, which is which is great. It's it's a it was a great film to introduce me to because it's probably one of my favorite films of all time. To, to oh, be really? honest, yeah, because I can just watch it at any time and be totally comfortable. Just kidding, I can't, but I do love it, <laughs> <laughs> and I can always expect the same experience every time I watch it, which is nice. It's nice to have a nice faithful uh, movie to get my my blood running. Yeah, the the moviness of this movie is so strong. I mean, it's it's gorgeous, like almost impossible locations. You got this great trope of a rookie and the vet one spacewalk away from retirement. Uh, like great nonstop action, um, like insurmountable odds, like it, dizzying special effects. I mean, this is like a real movie movie. Like you want movie magic, here's where you, where you come to. It's incredibly intentional. We've watched some terrible movies recently for, <laughs> for this season. Some unexpectedly terrible, some not so much, like Jason X. Uh, but this one, I just, I couldn't get over the takes, like, and how it's so in love with space. It really, really takes its time with the environment, which has been my biggest complaint with so many of the movies this season is that they just don't fully utilize space as an environment or even as another character in the movie. And gravity just gives it the full scope and scale of space and uses it very antagonistically, very beautifully. I just really, really appreciated how uh, Quran approached it. Uh, I was reading that he took very long takes. So for a movie, this movie's runtime is pretty short. It's under 90 minutes. And with, uh, we love, yeah, which I love, I love a short movie. Yeah. (laughs) Not quite dead. We love short movies. Mostly, most of the time we do horror movies. And so if you've got a horror movie that's like edging around the two hour mark, you're like, something has gone horribly wrong somewhere. (laughs) But you're going to get (laughs) a two hour long, not quite dead episode out of it. So we can talk about how shitty it is. So yeah, pretty much. Uh, but there's a lot fewer takes than industry standard, and they're all quite long um, just because the, the camera or, you know, rendering really just lingers on, yeah. you know, the vast expanse of space or it's checking out Earth from above. You know, it's really cool. So I, I really I really loved looking at this movie. Yeah. That opening scene. Yeah. Yes. I was about to say that opening scene is so good. The Just the casual conversation and kind of what you were saying, Kate, like letting you just be in space and experience it in a very casual sense. And then also at the same time, you have this like impending building uh, doom coming mm-hmm. that really just pays off so well. And it, it, they, it builds so perfectly. Time and time again. I mean, this, this character goes through like 10 trials, this, this movie, and it's in space on top of that. It's not just like, traversing through the desert or something or around the world it's like nope you're in this like totally vast space of nothing you're you're on your own there's no help for you and also here's like a bunch of shit you have to deal with by yourself Ugh, i, I so- find this really interesting that you guys are a, are a horror podcast <laughs> and wanted to do this movie and so re-watching this movie i watched it through like a horror lens and i was really surprised at how well it fit I mean, Sandra Bullock's, uh, what is it, Ryan Stone? Mm-hmm. She's a great final girl for this film. 
because of that, because she constantly is going uphill against these insurmountable odds, like I had mentioned before. Um, and I think the movie itself has moving pieces of horror tropes, but uh, her part as the final girl, I think is great. She's new to space. She doesn't know what she's doing there. Um, she clearly has a bit of baggage on her, on her shoulders and she's left alone to try and survive. Like, and I, I think it's incredibly equatable to, you know, um, I, I can't think of any of the characters' names in like Friday the 13th or, or <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't, they don't matter. Just, no, Johnny no, Depp. I meant the, the, the teenager, the one teenager that survives <laughs> um, any of those movies. There's right. Johnny Depp. And uh, right. <laughs> Kevin Bacon, Kevin Bacon. we're not big slashers yeah, no. here. <laughs> no, we don't, we haven't really, yeah. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta go. Dive we haven't done a slasher season yet. Yeah, I know. But even the start of the movie with the, we, we kind of talk like the title cards with the score. That's Those like are building scary. Up this, horrifying. Like they're one of the scariest parts of the movie. And yes. then you like build up the suspense of these title cards which is brilliant and then it just cuts out and you're in the silence of space like that sets up the horror element to me so well right off the bat i was floored by that the sound production in this movie is phenomenal i love that quaron was nitpicky about um you know no sound in space so collisions explosions uh, they're silent it's just the score for the most part um he had said in an interview that he didn't really appreciate that the trailer um, that had been cut for it included explosions. And he was like, there will not be an explosions in the final <laughs> cut of my movie. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the tension, the tension through it with the in sound Michael Bay's it, there would have been really good. Yeah. This yeah. is no Michael Bay film. Yeah. Oh. Well, Michael Bay wouldn't have won both sound Oscars either. Huh? <laughs> no. I, Best director, I, when I looked, maybe? When I saw this one, seven Oscars, I was like, wow, this one that many. And then I looked through, I was like, oh, right. Just all the technical Oscars because it's a yeah. technical marvel. It really is. Sandra Bullock didn't win for this movie. Like She did not. She didn't. She won for the fucking blind side. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I, bad I, well, bad year. Well, Blindside, she won Blindside before this. Yeah. But like how do you win Blindside and not this? <laughs> it's just yeah, like, well, uh, because of racist ass America loves a <laughs> terrible white savior movie. Sandra Bullock. Yeah, she was she was great in this movie. <laughs> That's where we She went. is terrific That's in this we movie. Before. She's so authentic as a as a a first astronaut in space. Um, this is like not her career. She and and at the end she's like, I hate space, and I'm like, girl, I'm with you. Like, I don't even need to go to find out. Yeah, I believe you. <laughs> I love how not a realist she is about survival. You know, she is like, no, I'm gonna come get you, George Clooney. No, uh, we're gonna make it together. You know, and these hallucinations she has, it's like she's not she's not quite ready to accept that this is her reality and she needs to do it like on her own. She pivots though. Like she does, which I think is interesting because good arc. Yeah. She starts very fatalistic. She's like, this is my fault. I'm dragging you down. You got to cut me loose. You know, she's, she's very grim. You know, her oxygen levels are totally tanking, uh, which I really appreciated that she is not a, 
career astronaut like like Clooney's character Kowalski is and so when she's freaked out she's like gasping for air and she can't keep it under control and it just makes everything worse I like that she starts very fatalistic and then she wants to try and be helpful it's just like it seems like it really speaks to her inexperience and the role that she's like vast she like kind of vacillates between these two before she just has to go straight to her own survival and I like too that we kind of see when Clooney goes out and once she like floats away and Clooney finds her I like that we see Clooney be a great astronaut so we show Mm -hmm. his experience as opposed to her uh amateur status as an astronaut like I really like seeing that because at first it's kind of like oh she's doing enough to stay alive the fact that she stays alive throughout the movie is a little bit like well, how does she pull that off? But I think they do a really nice job of showing what a experienced astronaut can do in these circumstances by him actually catching back up to her. Yeah, he's oh, very yeah. adapted to this environment. He's very comfortable as an astronaut, which is very alien to me. Yeah, I, I love that journey that they send her on. Like, First of all, that sequence where she is floating off is when she's attached to that arm is absolutely the best sequence of this entire movie. We can come back to it. Uh, but to go from that to the point later in the movie to jump ahead, when she's blowing herself out of the escape pod in that thin ass Russian spacesuit with only a fire hydra or fire extinguisher. I was like, wow, we have come a long way with <laughs> Sandy Bullock. It's, true. It's, it's, it's really good. It's a nice, it's a nice uh, like B plot of her getting over her own fear of space in this you know journey home i guess yeah Uh, but yeah i I think it's great but yeah back to that when she's attached to that arm my goodness gracious i was so empathetic with her as a person who suffers from motion sickness because she was just so like (laughs) space sick she was saying she was so space sick the whole time and just being even before like like loose like fairground like ride in space i was like not only is it terrifying that she's careening into this like utter blackness of space and can't communicate where she is like like she's just spiraling like it's so like actually terrifying to watch oh yeah and then the pressure of start saying things you see i'd be like what Black. i'm in stars the the earth? Earth? over there now it's yeah. here they're like what what direction yeah. is it and i'm like oh there's the every Dipper. fucking direction yeah yeah, uh, and then it almost when she detaches and it and she gets almost and it almost goes to a complete black screen as she's like drifting off right before Clooney comes back. Oh my god, it's it's so good. Zach and I watched this for the first time in our living room with with a, we have a we used to use a projector and we'd project it on like a whole wall and it was pitch oh, black nice. at home and we were both high <laughs> and I was sitting like this, <laughs> I'm like back against and like staring at the screen. I didn't know what to say. I was just fucking like stressed out. And I was like, wait, how do you come back from this? It was just like, it felt so overwhelming and impossible. And like, of course, George, George Clooney knows what to do. He's, he's so good at his job. I wanted to believe that she would eventually slow down. And then I had to look up like space physics. And I was like, oh, she, she would no. have never slowed. She would have just been <laughs> just worse. gone. There's no friction. There's no, yeah, there's no air friction to slow her down. And so George Clooney, yeah, George Clooney totally playing it cool. George Clooney basically playing George Clooney George in this Clooney. movie. He's so. Like he does in most movies. The movie yeah, is George like, Clooney so in space. Charming <laughs> and yeah. cool. Like he's cool. Like, like everything about him is like he's got stories about like 
Mardi Gras. He's got his, you know, his charismatic. He's listening to the radio out in space. It's just he's so comfortable in everything he does. And uh, even when he eventually has to untether himself from her because he knows it's the only way for one of them to survive, he's just like, yep, this is the thing that we've got to do. So go save yourself. It's so tragic, but it's also just so great of his character to do that. Tell Anatoly he's been bumped. <laughs> yeah, like he's just so like, yeah. even in the last moments, he's cracking jokes. Even in her hallucinations, he's cracking jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah. I love, I love that little, that tiny little victory that he gets the spacewalk record in, in death. I really love that part. Agreed. So bittersweet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I looked that up, and it turns out he didn't really, because he's not real. <laughs> it's really, oh. it's really a bummer. Yeah, uh, suck it, Kowalski. It. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry. Kowalski. tough break. I uh, d- when you guys saw that scene where he rejoins the ship, you know, um, to, to help out Sandy. What did you think? Did you think it was real at first? Did you think it was a hallucination? Did you think it was a ghost? Did you think it was him? Uh, you're saying later on when he re- yeah, like when, later. when he comes in. Yeah. Uh, I remember thinking in the movie the first time I saw it, obviously, I was like, oh, how the hell did he pull this off? And then you you really start to think like as it's happening like there's no way this is real right there's no way this is real and then <laughs> you're like crossing no your airlock. fingers yeah you, right. you know yeah. there's something up because there's no airlock he comes in sandra block does not have a helmet on right yeah she does not fly out like he comes in and sets, sits down like she would have died right then and there she would have been blown out <laughs> once he opened that door if another that trial true. So I remember going like, that's so sloppy for a movie this good. So I knew something was up. So then when it's revealed that she's hallucinating, I was like, oh, okay. Now I feel better because Mm -hmm. I was about to be like, what the fuck? This movie just went off the rails. (laughs) His character is so competent that for a beat, you can believe that he made it back somehow. He made it back once already. Like you can can buy it Mm -hmm. because he's supposed to be like the best astronaut. Yeah. Yeah, I think what uh, when it, you guys I know should know by now on on the show, I'm notoriously slow with this sort of thing. It I think when I got to the uh, vodka, he said he had the Russian vodka, and I was like, oh, okay, it's fake. Like that's when I was like, oh, no way. He went back to the ship, got the Russian vodka, and then found Sandra Bullock. That doesn't make any sense. So it took me it took me a few minutes to figure it out. Oh, I believe he pulls the <laughs> vodka out of the escape pod anyway. He reaches between the seats and pulls mm-hmm. it out. He, he doesn't come aboard with it. Oh, that's true. But he knew it was there. Yeah, you're right. Okay, well, I'll just edit this out so I don't sound like an idiot. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> We're leaving it in. <laughs> yeah, I do worry. love that scene, though. Like, the first time I saw that scene, I was kind of like, okay, was that really necessary? And now, on a second viewing, I realized that it's basically the thing that inspires her to go on. And I guess Clooney wrote that scene, I read, that like okay. they were having a hard time coming up with... 
how to do that like, scene. I'm not out of this movie yet, okay, guys? I'm going to write a couple scenes for me. I, well, I read the quote. They wanted to bring him back. They didn't really know how to do it properly, though. And Clooney was like, let me give it a whirl. And then that's course, what they ended up using. He's so fucking Clooney. That's so Clooney of him. <laughs> that is so Clooney. Sandra Bullock also dis- uh, suggested that her character doesn't has lost their child already. Like, her child's already dead. Like, that was her contribution to the script, too, which I thought was really cool. Like the idea of wanting to survive for the purpose of surviving and nothing else and, and how much that pushed her character forward. I thought that was really great. Yeah. Well, in that scene before Clooney, you know, quote unquote comes back, she's about to kill herself. Yeah. She's like, yeah, she's she turns down the oxygen. Down. She's like, what do I have to live for? Because she's so overcome with grief and loneliness and, and all that, that uh, she's about to just give up. But then I guess, you know, she remembers Kowalski's words and, how he told her to, you know, say, say you're going to make it, say you're going to yeah. get inside and gets, finds the deep inside her the power to, to keep going. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's really nice. It's, it's a really cool little inspirational moment. And I, I really like it. Yeah. The first time I watched this movie, I did not love that she was saddled with a dead daughter. I was like, I don't need my female leads to have excess trauma in their movies um, to want to follow agree. them. Mm. But I do. I will give them credit that I think that her uh, post hallucination, when she's talking, quote unquote, to Kowalski and saying like, "There's a little girl with brown hair," and that like that moment felt very genuine and very sweet. That she was able to kind of very quickly like process and like move on in some way through that and I think if they hadn't done that type of closure on that thread it would have just felt like okay we just added this characterization for no reason but I was glad that they that they were able to add like a a bow around it at the end there I agree I I felt even watching this time I kind of forgot that was a a plot device in this and it felt a little shoehorned in for me to like she's already going through so much. Does she really need to have this backstory? Like we get it. Well, that uh, happened a year is, ago. I, totally. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, get okay. over it. <laughs> yeah. Get over it. Come on. It's, it's a kid. You, you can have another, um, yeah. but I totally agree with you, Kate, that <laughs> they did a really nice, that the inspiration that Clooney kind of gives her and that scene of that motivation that she has to live after that. Uh, certainly made it work for me. I, I still don't mm-hmm. love it, but it, it, it makes it, it makes it functional in, mm-hmm. in, in, within yeah. the story. And, and that helps a lot. Yeah. I can appreciate it when it's neat, when it's like, okay, we we're doing something with this and we're not just going to like drop it in so that we feel extra sad that she's getting like blasted around space for 90 minutes. Hmm. Yeah, Exactly. I love yeah. that scene where she sees the hurricane it's very it's in the very beginning that very first like 17 minute shot you see the hurricane at like the corner of the earth about to you know continue on in its rotation and when she reaches the iss i think it's the iss she's on and sees the hurricane again like it's made its full circle and uh and she's it's silent it's this silent storm on earth that she knows is awful but she can't do anything about it she it's like not a priority at the moment it's just shit happening on earth and she's also like dealing with this internal storm right she's dealing with like 
herself in space for the first time. She's dealing with shit coming at her every 90 minutes. Like, and nobody on earth knows really or can do anything about <laughs> it. It's it's such a cool mirror in the film. I just love it. I love the way they mirror her with uh with the earth um throughout the film. Yeah. I think you get some cool horror movie stuff when she first gets that ISS of uh, the ISS too. I mean, not only do you have like the satellite debris being the serial killer that comes around every 90 minutes to like kill again, which I think is a great trope mm-hmm. that every 90 minutes you're just in trouble. But also hand in hand with that, when she goes to like, you know, she only has like a minute left and she's like, oh, no debris. I better go detach the ropes from the parachute. Why wouldn't you wait to weather the storm inside <laughs> rather than go outside? But then as I said that, I was like, oh, you know what? Horror movie. This is the same thing when you watch a horror movie and you scream, why are you going upstairs? Don't go upstairs. That's how I like, felt this whole movie. The, the serial killer's coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why like- are you in space to begin with? <laughs> And that actually made me like it a little better, actually. I was like, oh, yeah, it's a horror movie trope. That's why she's not waiting for the debris to pass. She's going out now to cut the ropes and bounce. Every time she was reaching for something to grab onto and would struggle Uh, to grasp something, I was like, oh, this is the person who keeps picking up and dropping the knife, right? Like, it's it's that panic. (laughs) It's like this whole movie is just underscored with her sheer and utter panic at everything, and it just, like, really limits. It's amazing that she survives. It's, like, truly amazing, because she's so big. It's a sci-fi. I mean, unbelievable. She probably wouldn't have. I I mean, (laughs) yes. She, like, that is one of my things with this movie is – there's almost no way she would actually survive no. this, but you know, all of these space stations are in different orbits. It's, it's just not a thing that would ever happen like this. Yeah. And I even, I saw a well, quote there goes from my plan. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to space soon. You're planning to go to space. Yeah. Who's well, planning to go to did. space? Yeah. Every movie I watch, I pick up little tips in case I'm in that scenario. Oh. Nomad land. I was like, here's how you live in a van. Okay. Got it. All right. I'm not going Paint to space. It. I won't go camping, let alone go to space. So, well, just watch The Edge and you can go camping. Oh, good. <laughs> or Deliverance, or Deliverance. I mean, to be fair, though, about her going out to fix her ship or detach the parachute, she just watched the Explorer get destroyed by this shit, right? Like, she's trying to get out of there. She also wants to leave as soon as possible. True, but this debris is coming, and I, I, I just think you have a better chance of surviving inside with your full suit on than you do just outside hanging out trying to detach the ropes. Like, and it's too short a time period. She looks at her watch, and it's like seven minutes, minute and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's like, "Oh, I can do Doesn't this." It take like, you no, you seven can't. Minutes just to put You've on your suit. Space before. Well, she's an amateur, so she's gonna make those mistakes. It's consistent, yeah, because I, I do love that they're they never make her out to be like a like space savant right she's not like sitting in the soyas and is like it's not like a matrix moment where she's like i understand like everything's clicking together from the simulations i crashed and now i like know how to operate this thing like (laughs) no she's still like flipping through her like manual and like mashing buttons until something works like they're they're keeping her at that amateur level which is all the more impressive that she survives and even in the scene with Clooney, when he comes, you know, the dream sequence with Clooney, like the reason she's able to know what to do is because he does it. So to me, it's like, oh, when they were training, this is this is her, you know, coach taking her through these this process in order to, you know, 
navigate the ship or whatever it is totally. and she's she's totally uh mimicking what he just did which i think is such a great little detail to show how she's able to do this it's because she remembered what she was taught Nine, 90 minutes ago yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> how do you guys feel about the 2001 a space odyssey homage shot it's a little gratuitous but i I think i kind of like it this time around because one it's gorgeously shot two definitely sandy looks great coming out of that spacesuit what Um, (laughs) and i like it as like a nice like reset after that first 30 minutes of absolute batshit insanity and then to finally like have her take this you know uh fetal form Mm -hmm. and kind of be reborn as now the heroine who is able to survive this whole thing now that Clooney's gone uh, and she doesn't have someone looking out after her. Yeah. I, uh, I like the way they play with life, like the, uh, the stages of life in this movie. That's, that's sort of like you, like you said, like this is her chance to be reborn as a new, as a survivor. Um, mm-hmm. And you even get a little bit of this at the end when she's climbing out of her sinking escape pod or whatever you want to call it. Um, and you see her swimming up from the depths of this murky water and there's like a little a frog. They, they cut to a frog kind of near her swimming up to the surface. And it's like this nice nod to just evolution. You know, it's it's an amphibious life form re- mm. reaching mm-hmm. the surface. Mm-hmm. And and so is she. Yeah, her oh first steps God. in the sand. So fucking yeah. scary. Yeah, she starts on her yeah. belly and gets on her fours and gets upright. It's it's very it's a very economical way of showing evolution. I, I liked the I actually liked uh, the 2001 shot less the second time. The first time I was like, oh, damn, cool. And the second time I was like, OK, yeah. And it's also like one of the most memorable things from this movie, having only seen it once. <laughs> Was from a scene from another movie. Yeah, of course, of course. But like, it's, we're not seeing a composition, especially like such a famous scene, such yeah. a famous shot. But I did the first time I saw this movie, the la- the ending when she lands. I was kind of caught up in how the hell did she get here? Like, I, I was a little annoyed by the lack of believability of her surviving this. This time, and, and Megan, I think you you definitely nailed it, but. I, I was really could appreciate it a lot more as like the all the little details, the frog, the first steps in the sand, like all of that really hit for me this time a lot more than the first time. And I I really have a lot of respect for it in the way they kind of set that all up and executed it. Yeah, it's it's a, actually it's a and with that last bit. And, yeah, <laughs> very yeah, really comforting. <laughs> And just to go back to those last few moments, the one-to-one comparison to horror movies, like almost drowning after she finally gets back to Earth, is like the killer popping back up for one last scare. Totally. Like she gets caught one yeah. more time. I was like, like oh, doesn't this, this is brilliant. girl get a break? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although it was an environment that she knew how to survive in at the end. Because she's true. back on like, you know, she's back on, on home territory at that point. Maxwell, I know you're concerned about how you would survive space. So in reality, those <laughs> those escape pods would come with like flotation devices so that the ship would not immediately sink with water. <laughs> like fill with I water. I wouldn't mind that. Like like Sandy, I feel like I could get out of there. Oh, once I'm God. once I'm Can in the water, I'm like fine. With her good. heavy like, spacesuit that I was she like, starts to is swim. Is that how they're gonna sinks? end this? <laughs> yeah. 
I was yeah. so nervous for a second. It, no. it would have been crazy if she just drowns and dies there. Like After that's how the movie that. ends. <laughs> oh my gosh, alternate ending. It would have blew my mind. I would have been like, this is incredible. What like, a decision. What? what a bold call. I was just so happy that when she finally gets on solid ground out of the lake that she doesn't kiss the mud yeah. because she comes dangerously, dangerously close like, to doing it twice. Yeah. And it's such a trope that I was like, please don't kiss the ground and get all muddy face. Like that's going to be so dumb. And I thought that she was going to do it twice and she doesn't. I was like, great restraint. Nice. Thank you for not doing that. <laughs> I don't think I would kiss the ground. I don't, I don't I think I would. I like, it was like I nice like... grass. If I landed on a golf course and it was like, well taken care of grass. <laughs> I just uh, yeah. to say hi to you as you land. I don't. Oh. <laughs> I'd be send like, me back to space. I was gonna say, send me back up. <laughs> Fuck this. I like the way she grabs the dirt though and like holds it to her chest. That feels. Mm. That felt very real. Like, oh god, it's pretty raw. Never want to. Yeah. I love how she's just like, I never want to be in space again. <laughs> At that moment, you can see it. I can't yeah. wait for the sequel when she goes back yeah. into space. <laughs> Gravity two, Gravity Sandy two. in space. <laughs> yeah, this is almost a speed sequel, right? This oh, could have been speed three. We just keep putting her in increasingly like more dangerous vehicles. Space bus. What's next? <laughs> Doesn't have to be a bus. Speed two has no buses. Oh, I haven't seen either yeah, just of them. A... So there's like a plane oh, in I know. or something. I, no, it's a I... cruise ship. A cruise oh, ship. Right. I haven't cruise seen control. Speed two. Speed two. Speed cruise two. control. Yes. Okay. It's a bad movie. I I swear by the first one. I, it's one of my favorite action movies. The second one is absolutely terrible sandra bullock was just such a good casting choice i know that they worked through uh 10 plus actresses to potentially cast with angelina jolie being in the lead for most of it but i think that yeah i think that sandra bullock was the right choice because she's so genuine and also seems like a normal person angelina jolie it's a little bit hard to believe is so hot yeah she's too hot (laughs) (laughs) So much of this role, there was so much uh, physical demands to this role that they were talking about the choreography of everything she had to do and make it look so believable. And I think there was a quote from, I think it was James Cameron, because he's like best friends with Quaron or something, mm-hmm. saying that like her performance is the equivalent of like a Cirque du Soleil performance yes. because it is so physically demanding. And for her to be able to do all of that and still make everything feel so uh realistic like i think i had a much not that i didn't appreciate it the first time the second time watching this movie i think her performance is phenomenal like i really think it is something very special and i don't you know i've seen a lot of sandra bullock movies not all but this is probably her like peak performance in my mind totally yeah she has like a tenacity about her, but also she pulls off a really good, not sure of herself, right, in this role. She she just seems new to it and it and and it and looks new to it. She just seems like nervous and I can't see that with Angelina yeah, she, Jolie. I just can't. It's a very raw raw performance. She she has a relatability that maybe yeah, like thank it's kind of like the Tom Hanks thing a little bit where it's just like the, yeah. she kind of seems mm-hmm. she's like the every person yes. where yes. you can kind of believe her, like you can relate to her a little more cuz it yeah. feels like she's a pretty normal person where if you were in similar circumstances this is how you would react to it mm-hmm. and the casting choice of her is terrific yeah 
Yeah, I mean, she's often a fish out of water in her movies. Like, Miss Congeniality, Speed, this. Like, she's she's the newcomer. Two weeks notice. New... Uh, I, mean, I don't think that one. <laughs> uh, no, she is, actually. She's a little she's fish, fish out, out of water. water in there? Yeah, because okay. it's like, I've seen that movie more than once. I don't know why, but I've seen that movie yeah. more than once. Well, she's trying to date Hugh Grant. He's a douche, and she's not. So she's she yeah. figure out how to and deal she's with like, him. Yeah, dealing with on, a Maxwell. rich asshole. Come on, man. You haven't Jeez, watched Two Maxwell? Weeks Notice? Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. Is that Ryan Reynolds? Is he in that too? No. no. You don't What's even know one? what we're talking about. Sandra Bullock the, and pro- Ryan Reynolds? the Proposal. Oh, that, the yes. Oh, okay. That one's terrible. <laughs> oh, right. I, I thought that was the other one. It's like how me. Matthew McConaughey had the m- McConaissance, as, as of course you guys are well aware, but she like went we the opposite well. direction. <laughs> Check out McConaughey on High on <laughs> Yes. <laughs> She's like the opposite. Like when she went to the proposal, I was like, what are you doing, girl? Come on. Don't do this. Agreed. Now, can we talk about this dog sled guy? Because I love that moment. (laughs) Just a little bit. Well, did you guys watch Uh, the short film at all? I did not. Really? I'm unaware of of this. Oh, that's so exciting. Yes, Kate. Thank you. Um, Because it's his brother's short film. It's his. It's his son. It's his isn't son. It? It's his yeah. son. Or it's his yeah. son. It's his, his son, his not his son. brother. Yeah, they wrote Quaron's. Yeah, Quaron's yes. son made a short film that's that's tied to gravity with the the scene where she's um, on the she's on the the Chinese um, ship rescue right? pod. Yeah, the rescue yes. pod, and she is. Um, she's trying to pick up signal on the radio, and she's getting this like kind of chatter through. And you you hear some guy who's not speaking English and you think like, oh, this is just some like ham radio, you know, that she's picking up. And it's just so tragic. It's like the lowest of the low because any chance she thought that she had of hope in this moment is just totally dashed because she has this very funny, sad moment where they don't understand each other, but she hears a dog barking in the background. And so they start like that scene where they're barking and like howling at each other. So his son made a short film on what's happening on the other end of the the radio. I love her in that scene of like when she's like barking along with the dog and just like, man, the emotion she's able to like give while she's doing that and the satisfaction of being able to have any connection with, even if it's not a human being or like. Oh, wow. Here we go. Beautiful. It's a beautiful little moment. What do you mean mm-hmm. if it's not a human being? Do you, do you have something he's to talk, say about it? He's Inuits? talking about the dog. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also think it, it, it equates to, like, the the last uh, strings of, of her earthly life, mm-hmm. right? Like, these yeah. are the last voices she's ever going to hear right. from Earth before she dies. She's putting herself to sleep in these moments. She's like, yeah, keep... Keep howling, and I'm gonna go to sleep to that. The last and she's like, oh, shred of humanity yeah. she has at her disposal, yeah. And he, and this guy on the other end is just like, I have to put my dog down today. That's what we find out is going on on the other side. Oh, that's what he yes. said. Oh shit. Yes, it's his favorite uh, dog on his team, his dog sled team that yeah, he has sled, to put down. Sled dog. Yeah, and he's so sad oh, about man. it and doesn't want to do it. Um, and then you hear the baby and that's his baby. Like his wife brings his baby to say hi. And it's really, again, like this metaphor of, of just the life cycle, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, 
she's dying, but there's new life and it's back on Earth, not where she is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought it was a case of grass is always greener. <laughs> <laughs> like, I got to kill my favorite dog, but at least I'm not yeah. stuck in space. <laughs> that works too. <laughs> I, I think that watching the short film was was good to get that extra context because when you're watching it just within the movie, not having seen the the short film, you're so just oriented around Sandra Bullock's character, uh, around Ryan Stone, and how in her, what seems like to be her last moments, um, it's a misunderstanding, right? Like she she's not able to communicate and get help. Mayday means she, nothing. Mayday means nothing to him. <laughs> and so, her name, right? and <laughs> so it like almost drags her back into that fatalism she has at the beginning of the movie where she's like, there's no hope for me here. So I'm just going to succumb to this. And then on the other side, when you do watch the short film, um, he's also mourning something and he's, and he's trying to connect and talk about how he's losing something and it's a hard day for him. And so, but she doesn't get that either. So it's very, it's very human because it's just like people almost, not quite, but like almost shouting into the void, like, this is what's wrong with me and you're a stranger. So I can just say this and it doesn't mean anything to you. So both, both of them are kind of grappling with that in their own ways. It makes me appreciate too then her storyline of the loss of her daughter uh, or yeah, it's daughter. Uh, just then it's like kind of dealing with loss and dealing with tragedy and you know, whatnot. So that, that connects that a little more for me too in that, in that plot. Just having to move on anyway and how hard that right. is. Yeah. Finding a reason to live. There's so many nice little moments in this film. Just like the whole thing is great, and then just like you've got the dog, you know the the ham radio, like the radio, like dog sled scene, and then just like all these like little like things like throughout. Like it's so small, but something I I really loved was when she goes onto each of the sh- the the other ships. So when she goes onto the ISS. Um, they know that it's normally manned by Russians and there's debris floating around all inside of it. And the debris is like Russian things. It's like chess pieces and stuff. And then when she makes it onto the, the Chinese ship, there's like ping pong paddles and, like and other like things. the little like, cat. Yeah. 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 And the little like happy cat and the Buddha, like on the, you know, escape pod, like just all these little like humans are humans no matter where they are like they need to pass the time and they have their knickknacks and their things and their pictures of their families and yeah I liked I liked that it's bringing in that warmth into like how cold and empty space is and and just how globalized we we all are and need to be in space like Mm -hmm. we're all equal in space space is shitty and and rough (laughs) Like we need to play by the same rules, but we're all people. And um, I, yeah, I, I like that bit of humanity in um, who's actually been on the space stations before she was trying to escape. It's very nice detail. And particularly for, I mean, I assume if you're an astronaut, when you're going up into space, like you assume there's at least a 50% chance you're going to die. Like, or like, I mean, 50% higher. Shit. I don't know, but oh, like, God. it is it's probably lower now. It used to be higher. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Neil still Armstrong though. probably was like 50 50. I mean, 60, now 40. I think they're like 80 yeah, 20. Yeah. yeah, still though, there's a high yeah, yeah. percent, like, yeah. it is a higher than I face. A, <laughs> we all do, like, it, there's not many 
you know situations where you're in in uh that kind of peril on just doing your everyday job so it's yeah it's it's crazy and to see those little like those little things that make them human still and the things that you know make them feel as at as at as home as possible in a place that's so far away is is really nice yeah and i love bullock uh ryan stone grappling with that with her own mortality i think it's right before george clooney comes back when she's like uh something like i know i'm gonna die everybody dies but i'm gonna die today mm -hmm. like i i love that line yeah, the immediacy. so good and yeah 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 like speaking of little moments yeah I, I really really that line really hit me i was like oh that's yeah it's so good like yeah i was okay i'm okay with death now but on the day of my death if i yeah. know it's coming i'm gonna be freaking out <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite shots in this movie uh especially watching it with a with a lens of of trying to read this as a horror was uh, at the beginning, after the first pummeling of shrapnel and debris, uh, when Stone tries to grab onto Sh Sharif's body, right? They, they know he's been hit. And, and, and Kowalski's like, you just got to get his body. Like, we got to bring his body in. And she grabs him and he turns. And that shot of his face where you realize that the debris had gone through his helmet, clean through his skull and out the back of his helmet. And you see space and earth passing th through his head and right through his face it's so good it's really good for for yeah, not being a horror really movie good. fantastic horror shot yeah. really really good it's a hell of a shot better than jason x that's for sure mm, a, a, mm. a movie. <laughs> yeah i i watched jason x Wait, only really? once when it came out oh you did yeah, i listened to your podcast yeah oh yeah when it came out i, I worked at a video store so oh, i watched okay literally everything that came out that makes sense uh, and i watched it and i remember it being pretty hilariously terrible yeah. and uh it was nice to go back down the podcast uh <laughs> hole with you guys although i don't think i'll ever revisit that film no don't unless i do a complete a, a complete friday the 13th uh watch watch through yeah, I I love that shot. I love I love the the effort they put into finding this guy, and it's like, oh, he's dead. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, duh. And then it's like, oh, so is everyone else. <laughs> like, Let's just leave all the bodies now. Never what are mind. they supposed to do? <laughs> right, but it's like we just went through all that yeah. work to get his body, and now it's just like, it's just, oh, well, we didn't. There you do go. That. Oh God, yeah, that was one of those moments where I was like, you guys made the wrong choice. I guess that's because it's a horror movie. See. I, I love the way the music um, matches what's going on on screen so much. I love the way uh, it builds with the tension. And it also, like, lets you know when something shitty is about to hit the fan. Like, when she's working on the ship and you kind of, like, there's, like, nothing. There's, like, the overall, like, spooky kind of theme. And then shit starts flying by in the background. And she's, like... Mm -hmm, like humming her way through what she has to do <laughs> and then she looks and it, here it comes and the music is just like a fucking tidal wave over the scene i just love the way music is used in this movie so much yeah such a good movie Ugh. the score is Talk excellent it forever yeah the score is so did, did, terrific did it win did it win best i score? think so i think okay, it won good. for score i'm glad you guys knew that yeah I, it I, won like Every sound editing, sound, uh, visual effects, director, cinematography. Uh, I think it won score too. Original score. 
Yeah, Lubeski. That dude just <laughs> everything he's the golden goose. Everything that yeah. guy touches turns to gold. Which is also a funny connection because Lubeski shot The Revenant. And Brad, you and I were talking about this. This movie reminds me so much of The Revenant, especially that first long opening unbroken take. I was like, wow. And it's like the Revenant goes up into the trees and it almost gets a little dizzying, just like this is going all around this satellite and it gets a little dizzying. I'm like, man, Lubezki, you got you made a couple little companion pieces here, whether uh, you knew you were doing it or not. Yeah. I always want to watch The Revenant alongside this movie. Like once I'm done with this movie, I'm like, hmm, yeah. I'm either going to put on The Revenant or 2001. Brutal Tales of Survival. <laughs> Against, you know, all odds. Shot by Emmanuel Lubezki. One in space, one in nature. Yeah. Like, it's... Yeah. They're great companion old, pieces. Old pal Mexican filmmakers. <laughs> uh, I have one joke that okay. at one point, <laughs> Sandra Bullock says, no harm, no foul. There's been plenty of harm. <laughs> like, yeah. She says it like towards the final escape pod before yeah. she starts re-entering Earth's atmosphere. She's like, no harm, no foul. I'm like, no harm? Like, What have you been doing for 90 minutes? Two 90 minutes. Everyone you came up here with is dead. All harm. All yeah, foul. You are Why did they even send her up here with six months training? Like, there's the harm. Okay. Like, what, what well, the that's, heck? It's the Armageddon trope. You can't train... What? Uh, astronauts to deep core drill. You have to get a deep core driller to learn how to astronaut. Same thing here. She's a medical scientist or something. You can't teach an astronaut that. You have to teach her how to astronaut. Her thing I believe a lot more. Like, oh, She's just fixing a panel. Uh, Yeah, it does seem like she's just fixing a panel. That's true. You only believe it more in this because they explain less about what she's doing. That's true. It's very hand wavy about what she's actually up there doing. They mentioned, like, oh, you're working in the basement of a hospital and, like, now you're up here (laughs) doing something on a control panel. Like, okay. (laughs) She could have been a janitor at the hospital. (laughs) That's true. Maybe she was. Really it's like goodwill hey, hunting. It's goodwill hunting. Janitor Stone. Yeah. Did you solve this math question on our board? We're going to space. Oh my god. How about them? They apples? should have had her in Jason X. Oh my god. I keep going back to Jason X. It's just such. <laughs> I know you're, you get a real axe to grind with that movie. <laughs> I just love it so much. It's so bad. Okay, let's take a break before we get into a segment with our High on Film friends.
Welcome back. We are here with Chris and Brad from High on Film to talk about a few movies, including Gravity, that we think are in the wrong genre, or at least belong in another genre. Um, so this is a very special edition segment for our, our listeners. We've never done anything like this before. We don't play games here. We talk business. But High on Film is a very fun show, and we wanted to bring the spirit into ours. So everyone on this, uh, everyone in this episode gets three arguments to state their case why their movie uh, needs to be in a different considered we'll say considered for a different genre. So with that, (laughs) let's begin. Who wants to go first? Everyone knows that my movie is Gravity, so I think it makes sense for me to either go first or last. How do we want to handle this, folks? I'd say you go first. Give us, let us see how it's done, and then we'll uh, we'll follow you up. Great instincts, Chris. All right. All right. (laughs) So that's, that's two votes since we're a democracy here. I always make Brad go first on our podcast, so... (laughs) All right, um, I'm going to get into why I think Gravity, which everywhere I've seen has only been classified as a uh, thriller or drama or just sci-fi. I've never seen it classified as horror, and we're a horror podcast, so I think Gravity needs to be classified also as a horror movie. Um, And we've covered a actually a lot of you guys did a lot of my thinking for me so I really appreciate that this episode (laughs) a pleasure you're welcome um, yeah these are my three arguments as to why gravity should be considered as a a horror number three um this this film has a lot of knowing what's coming and not being able to do anything about it and also Uh, not knowing what's coming and not being able to do anything about it. And I find that the unknown involved in in both of those scenarios is worthy of being called a horror trait. You know, like this debris is floating around every 90 minutes. You have a deadline. You can face it again or you can do something about it, right? And and you don't really have a choice. It's coming. I also think Sandra Bullock like spiraling out into space is one of the like we said like it's one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen in a film. My number two point is about the amount of phobias that this movie dives into. Number one is uh, obviously space and heights. I kind of like relate space to heights. I don't know how you guys feel but when I look at the planet Earth from the perspective in this movie I'm like terrified that I'm going to fall into it or fall away from it either way like did you see the first like two minutes of ad astra <laughs> yeah i did i did <laughs> yes yeah. that's awful <laughs> that is space heights two and extreme oh, yeah. yes yeah um also that like red bull commercial that was on like <laughs> like yeah. forever ago when that guy is diving yeah. in down from space i was cinema. like <laughs> this is like that this is like what i think of in this movie where she's looking at earth i'm like you're gonna fall um yeah not only space and heights i'm very afraid of heights personally um, I am as well. Yeah. I, I can't look over a ledge too long or I start freaking out and I have to like physically like back away from it before I feel better. 
Um, so there's that phobia. There's also drowning at the very end when she's supposed to survive. Like, that's terrifying. Uh, a terrifying thing she faces at the end. And then the fear of being set on fire, which happens on the ISS, <laughs> right? Like, it ex- fucking explodes. So, yeah, this movie covers or it taps into a lot of phobias, I think. So I think that counts. Mm-hmm. All right. Agreed. Yeah. All right. All right. Number one. Um, number one for me is just the feeling of being overwhelmed while watching this film. The literal, like, physiological, psychological reaction I, I personally have to this film. I can't. I can't watch it to fall asleep. Like I can watch, <laughs> I can watch so many movies to fall asleep. I cannot watch this movie to fall asleep. Um, I, I have that tense feeling of being overwhelmed and scared. It's literally a symptom of fear. If if you look it up, if you web WebMD it, you know it's it's science, folks. It's science. It's 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 a scary fucking movie. There's. <laughs> You WebMD'd while you were staring. I web. <laughs> I web. <laughs> I should have. I WebMD'd like the feeling of being overwhelmed. And I was like, is this real? Like, is this a thing? Because I was also uh, Googling the uh, monster trait of overwhelming in the game, board game, horror, horror board game, Arkham Horror, horror. Again, horror. Uh, <laughs> you just said so many Wait, horror? Lost, actually. It's horror. <laughs> it's a board game. Arkham Horror. And uh, if you defeat a monster in that game, it's Batman, yeah. If you defeat a monster in that game and it has like an overwhelming trait, it still hurts you. Like, I'm like, this symptom matters. <laughs> <laughs> this word matters. It is scary. And so that is my final reason as to why this is. It belongs in the horror genre as well as all of the other genres that it's part of. And that's that. All right. Uh, let's uh, let's calculate for gravity. Um, what were my scores, guys? Meg, I thought it was pretty personal uh, reasons rather than universal reasons. So uh, I'm sorry. I gave you uh, three detached tethers. <laughs> Which are scary. Very scary, and something they say a thousand times in gravity. I was like, stop detaching tethers! I gave you four pieces of shrapnel out of five pieces of shrapnel. Um, I think that you did a good job of going beyond just like how much tension there was by talking about the phobias, but it did seem like it was very, like, like Maxwell said, I think it was a a little more personal than like objective facts in the argument. I'm an emotional arguer. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I gave it uh, four space suffocations kind of agree i think you were probably at a little bit of a disadvantage because we had discussed the movie so in depth already um oh, i but... was trying to put myself at an advantage with this episode <laughs> yeah yeah i mean I, I i thought you did a nice job honestly it was hard for me to differentiate between any of these but yeah i thought the the reasons were maybe all a little in a similar vein um so yeah, I, th- I I thought I thought everyone did a great job, but yeah, I gave you I give you four space suffocations. Yes, all right, that gives me a total of eleven out of fifteen random space 
objects. <laughs> uh, I can go next if you want. All right, yes, do let's it. Hear it. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, oh. I would like to present to you the Paul Thomas Anderson masterpiece, The Phantom Thread. Now, it is widely known as a drama, uh, also a romance, but as we know, two ends of the spectrum, comedy and tragedy, sometimes those edges of the spectrum can meet, you know? They can get so far apart that they get close together. And this is not a dramatic romance. This is a rom-com that we're dealing with here. And let me tell you why. Not only is it a rom-com, but I think it actually specifically notes to When Harry Met Sally. Number three, there is a large New Year's Eve romantic gesture after a breakup fight. Huge uh, romantic comedy trope, uh, New Year's Eve, a classic uh, romantic or lonely holiday, if uh, depending on your, your uh, relationship status. Number two, Alma is the character's name. Alma and Reynolds uh, continually antagonize each other in that childish flirting manner. Like when a guy likes a girl in like kindergarten and he like pulls her hair. Like she makes him dinner the one day and he literally nitpicks about the asparagus being like, you know, you made this asparagus with butter, even though you know I like it with oil and salt. And it's just so funny and such a nitpick thing. And number one, just like Meg Ryan and When Harry Met Sally, where Meg Ryan has all of these particular preferences in her uh, lunch order, Daniel Day-Lewis's Reynolds also has his meat cute with Alma giving a very particular and long breakfast order that he expects her to remember to a T which she does and wins his heart. So there you go. Take that with you back into your deliberation boxes. The Phantom Thread by Paul Thomas Anderson is a romantic comedy, albeit a dark comedy. <laughs> how, I'm curious how much of the film is spent um, during these moments, percentage-wise. Oh, good bits. I mean, <laughs> they're almost constantly antagonizing one another Ooh. if they're not completely in love. Like there's the scenes where they're completely in love and then there's the scenes where they're antagonizing each other. And that's kind of why their love works. So it's like that, that, you know, a lot of flirtation. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. The, the rivalry and the power uh, struggle between them is what keeps them attracted to one another, which I think is also inherently comedic. Yeah, I gave you four sergers out of five. Um, I thought you did a nice job of capturing the quirks of a rom-com, but I don't know if you did enough to convince me that the entirety of the movie is worthy of that Ooh. classification. So I gave you Thank four. Thank you. I can go further. I'm writing a book about the Harry and Sally comparison, actually, <laughs> because Phantom Thread also is bookended by interviews with Alma talking about a relationship when she's older, which... Harry Metzali has all those interludes of the older people talking about their relationships. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm at a bit of a disadvantage. Uh, I have not seen Phantom Thread, um, so I can't really uh, claim how much your uh, how, how well your points were made. I thought you did a nice job of making your points. I, it, I, it was sold well through the When Harry Met Sally comparison. 
Uh, so that was able that was that was able to give me some base level to go off of. So I gave you four point five. I'll have whatever she's having. I gave you four method actors out of five. I agree that I, I'm not sold the whole movie could be converted to rom-com, but the points that you brought up, I hadn't thought about before. And so I was like, oh, this will make me look at this in a new light. So I think that it deserves, yeah, four out of five. Thank you. That, that puts me at 16.5. <laughs> so excited. 16.5, Phantom Threads. <laughs> Wait, 16.5? Wait, what? Oh, no, 12.5, 12. 12. sorry, yeah. Yeah, are you rating yourself? Oh, yeah, I gave myself gave him, four. He only gave himself four. Chris loves math. Chris loves math. That is, that's a high on film joke. He didn't even give himself yes, it is. five. Yes, it is. It's a, it's a classic high I will film say, joke. I don't really believe back. Phantom Threads are rom-com. I actually struggled with this uh, um, exercise. I thought you did a good job. Because I really, I really subscribe to most genres like that are classically classified. Like, I really, like, oh, yeah, I can see that. Um but you know oh so you're conservative got it okay no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what i've always thought of chris maxwell well if if i could now i'd give you a half a half point less because you just negated your own Too argument sure. five <laughs> lock it in all right all right it's me now <laughs> my presentation is that midsommar is not a horror movie it is a coming of age story. Danny, <laughs> oh, I like this yeah, already. Danny, our main character, starts the movie. She's young, insecure, extremely withdrawn young woman. And through the course of the movie, she regains her sense of self by maturing and finding love and respect in her community. And so, point three, um, and all of my points are taking major tropes from coming of age stories that we see. So, Point number three is that she has her first major experimentation with drugs. So she has her mushroom experience. She's taking psychedelic tea throughout. And she's having this like mind expanding experience. Point two is she has her loss of innocence. So she has to confront her traumas and her fear of death uh, head on in this community through exposure to their their own rituals around life and death. And it brings her um, into this new maturity um, in a like broadened sense of how she can handle these experiences. She's not hiding them away anymore. She's able to talk about them without shutting them out. And number one is... She tries to fit into her to her new community. Um, she sheds her old American style to fit in with all the local Scandi people in the commune. So much like the hot girl loses her glasses and ponytail to fit in with the popular crowd, she ditches the sweatpants, she gets a flower crown, she gets her white dress, <laughs> and she fits in with everyone. She forges a new identity for herself. Um, she ditches her bullying boyfriend and his shitty friends, and she gets respect and love with all her new girlfriends. She gets a new boyfriend by the end. She just she goes from a very isolated, low place at the beginning of the movie to a bright, happy, and fulfilled place, fitting in with a group of people by the end of the movie. I like that. Yeah. Well argued. Yeah. Midsommar is absolutely, I should note, I think the best depiction of 
being on drugs oh, in a man. movie ever. Agreed. There is, I don't 100%. think there's a better <laughs> depiction of actually doing mushrooms than Midsommar. Yes. Like, I was like, oh no, that's what mushrooms are yeah. like. <laughs> like, whereas every other movie, it's oh, good. trippy, like yeah. twangy Indian music yeah. and like, it's like a sitar bright colors. or something. And like, and yeah, this, yeah. Is, <laughs> this year, like, oh, the trees are saying something to me now. Like, the flower <laughs> just winked at <Yeah>. me. <laughs> this movie is why I went out of my way to find some mushrooms so I could try them for the first time. <laughs> mm. ah, so I, go. I haven't yet. I gotta oh, wait. Oh, I gotta wait for the right weekend. I was busy don't, this weekend. Don't watch Midsummer <laughs> while on mushrooms. <laughs> or Gravity. Both. Don't watch Gravity. The kid, to the kids at home. <laughs> Meg, let me come up and let's do mushrooms. Wait, really? You promise? <laughs> oh yeah, I'll do mushrooms with <laughs> yes, you. Oh, mushrooms are please. so fun. <laughs> okay. That's exciting for me. Um, again, another movie I haven't seen, so hard for me to uh, fully lock into it. Um, but I think your arguments are terrific for a coming of age. That is, it's a very funny take. I gave you a 4.5 flower crowns. Um, ah. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I, I, again, for a movie I haven't seen, I thought she did a great job of making me understand exactly why and uh she mentioned mushrooms so that's helps <laughs> the cause things. right off the bat so uh yeah 4.5 flower crowns all right i have to go next before maxwell steals my uh my rating system um <laughs> kate i gave you five specialties out of five um you i thought, thought i was gonna steal I, you know that. i special yeah i don't know <laughs> special Tea, oh, like, tea. A, like a like a gotcha, tea, gotcha. like you drink. Oh, it's not got special. It. Got Jeez, it, Louise. Special mushroom teas <laughs> out of five. We've talked about this being a feel-good movie on our show, but I've Genuinely. never heard you specifically reference it as a coming of age. And all the points you made made so much sense to me. And I was like, oh yeah, this definitely could be a very dark coming of age story so um yeah i'm 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 right there with you i have so many more points but i had to cut it to three (laughs) i could tell i could tell you would like really put a lot of thought into this and you felt very strongly about it i never really thought of midsommar as a horror movie to be honest with you uh so i love it as a coming of age story I'm going to go ahead and give you five flaming bear suits. Uh, I really thought it was uh, well argued and I I completely subscribe to that. I love this as a coming of age uh, movie about, about a breakup, which is exactly what it's about. But uh, I thought you did a very good job of of explaining it. Fabulous. I watched this movie when I want to feel good. (laughs) Okay. Hilarious. This is why you guys do sure. a horror film podcast and we just it do is. a general film <laughs> podcast. Horror makes us happy. Yeah. That leaves me. Uh, my argument is that Requiem for a Dream is a horror movie. Uh, it is listed as a drama and it is, I'm like five in my five. mind, <laughs> just kidding, a go horror ahead. movie. Uh, so spoiler alert i guess i uh, don't need to say that but uh the character's fate in this number three character's fate in this movie is truly horrific around what the like worst epidemic one of the worst epidemics in this country is which is heroin addiction and you have the 
I still think of Jared Leto's arm in that movie it is so ugh, gruesome. Uh, the gore level there, uh, you know, Ellen Burstyn's mental state, Jennifer Connelly, like everything that revolves around her character and like going into prostitution for heroin, like everything that every character, they don't die, but you like almost wish they would. It's almost a better uh, outcome than what, than where they turn up. Uh, Number two, is Ellen Burstyn's hallucinations feel like they could be in a Nightmare on Elm Street movie? Like the the dream elements of it and like the flashes to it almost feels like Chris uh, Christopher McDonald could almost be Freddy Krueger. The way he is like haunting her mind and the way she is like just unraveling um, throughout and the way it haunts her, the way Freddy Krueger haunts everybody in Nightmare on Elm Street. And the number one reason, and honestly, the it, it's simple, but it's the scariest movie I've ever seen in my life. Really? Like, I, <laughs> I was, that movie fucked me up really bad. I saw it in college and I can remember just watching it and not, I was not prepared for it. And I remember once it was over, like we were, it was me and some friends and they were like flipping through the channels to like watch something else and they happened to go past Nickelodeon and Rugrats and I was like stop right there I need to watch Rugrats right now because I need to pull myself out of what I just experienced which was like I've seen horror movies like nothing is scarier to me than Requiem for a Dream so that is my argument I can I can get behind that that's that's how I feel about gravity Mm-hmm. I, well, I don't know, Meg. Do you need a Rugrats uh, palate like cleanser chaser, after yeah. Gravity? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, today I, I chased it with 2001, so maybe not. <laughs> I, I I did get an itch to watch that again after watching yeah. Gravity. All right. Last but not least, I gave you five two-sided dildos out of five. <laughs> asses to asses. I... A hundred percent agree. This movie is truly horrifying. I um, completely empathized with all of the points that you made about how scary it was. I watched it, um, I think also when I was like fairly early into college and just remembered being like completely like horrified by, yeah, Jared Leto's horrible like track mark wound arm that he shoots up into like the horrible like downfall of Ellen Burstyn's character. Like all of it is just so tragic and difficult to watch it's one of those movies that i watched it once and i was like i get it super good i'm literally never gonna watch it again so five out of five correct kate it's one of the few movies i can kate i'm right there with you i watched it once and it is it terrified me i fully subscribe to this being a horror movie i it's one of the very few movies that i hope i never have to watch again uh brad i'm also giving you five out of five wow arms I went with four and a half dirty needles out of five. Um, not not quite five because again, I I can rewatch this movie. Like I wow, I I love this movie. I love watching it and just feeling shitty, and uh, also feeling like wow, glad I never did that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but all of your points made total sense. Like they're totally in line with why I think I find gravity. 
a horror. It's it's all in your head. A lot of it's in your head. It's it's very personal and and the thought of succumbing to that kind of addiction is really terrifying and um it does deserve to be considered a horror, but four and a half because I can um, watch it to feel good about myself. So yeah, yeah. Darren Aronofsky <laughs> like always treads that horror line real well. Like every single one mm-hmm. of his movies, except for maybe Noah. Body horror. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like he's yeah body horror. Cronenberg all about with it. That shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like even the wrestler, yeah. which I wouldn't ever even put Oof. near the horror genre, that has body horror elements. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Totally. totally. That's an uncomfortable movie. Yeah. It's a great double feature with yeah. Black Swan about yeah. athletes and one mind, one body. It's oh, I love that. It's so true. Yeah, I'll watch I'll watch Wrestler and Black Swan back to back for twenty four straight hours before watching <laughs> Requiem for a Dream again. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Ch- wow. Challenge well, accepted. I'm just gonna do that. Okay. Tell us how it went. Uh Monday. Hopefully I'll be able to talk after that. <laughs> I think uh, I think Brad is our winner here, right? I think so. I think he got the top mm-hmm. score. So we're going to make sure never so. to do this again with guests. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to do it on a movie where you know you're going to be right. If this was Requiem for a Dream and Brad was doing Gravity, you could have won. <laughs> I will say I struggled with this too. And then Requiem for a Dream hit me and I was like, oh, yeah, it's the the most horrific movie I've ever seen. The most genre-bending movie of all time. Requiem for a Dream. We are now classifying it as a horror. It may show up on Not Quite Dead. Ooh. uh, Since it's now a horror. (laughs) And, uh, and yeah, the rest of us are losers. We shouldn't have uh, even brought this up. So, I don't know. Maybe this episode will just live in the vaults. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) If you do Requiem for a Dream for as a horror movie for the podcast, I'll I'll come back and I'll yes! rewatch it for that. That that's the only reason I'd ever do it. Fantastic. I'd ever We're holding it. you to it. Okay. I will, I, I will right. rewatch it for that reason and that reason alone. Kate, we gotta figure out a category to squeeze it into. Yeah, so we, we got a couple get, gutter get seasons Brad ahead back. of us and then maybe yeah. we can come back to some good <laughs> to some good drug horror. Some drug horror. <laughs> yeah, let's uh let's uh let's let the listeners know what our next season is it's uh we're gonna do chucky next season child's play i'm very excited child's yes play. Hell yeah. wow all child's play so excited this was like my first uh franchise that i ever got into um so we're gonna cover it um chris brad do you guys have any projects you guys have coming up i know i know you have some high on film stuff coming up with Oscar season. We'll be back April 21st with our high on film annual Oscar two-part Oscar spectacular show. Uh, We'll do a throwback Oscar. And then the following week we will do whatever wins best picture at the Oscars this year. Uh, It's one of uh, our favorite things to do on high on film. Very excited about that. I also want to tell you, we covered gravity on one of our mini episodes way back on October 8th, 2013 if you want to look up buzzed off film number 15 uh, i don't believe it's available in the podcast streams i believe you're gonna have to go to highonfilm.com to find it uh but there's a cut total it's a very early high on film episode but it's our spoiler free review of buzzed of of gravity yeah spoiler free i believe we did it right out of the theater and you just might hear my 
old woman sitting next to me story again. I can't remember. I can't oh. remember if I included that or not. Incredible. I I'd say there's a 97 percent chance I, you did because sure. you were furious. It all just flo- floated back to, to me, use a, just to like use a I was in the space. Kids are saying it lives rent free in my head all the time, a hundred percent of my life. We have one more podcast. We do a uh, comedy noir, a sunshine comedy noir called Death at Sunset. Uh, we released our second case, which is four half hour episodes. Um, each uh, season one and season two are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram as well. I'm Cross Maxwell. That's Chris with an O in place of the I. And uh, BD, always GP for the big guy over here. <laughs> and Kate, what's our what's our Twitter handle for the folks at home? At NQD underscore podcast. Give us a follow, please. <laughs> well, it was so much fun having you guys back on our show. Well, I shouldn't say back. It just feels like it's back because we were together again. But back together with you guys this time on our show. Really fun to have you guys. Oh, such a pleasure. It's, it's great podcasting with you two. I, I really love the show. I'm so excited to be a part of it. Uh, please, anytime you want. I am. I, I know Brad already made this uh, offer, but happy to come back anytime you want. This is a really <laughs> fun, fun time, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. I had a blast. We always have. We had a blast with you with last Christmas. So we can't thank you enough for having us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. And trying out our very first game, never to be played again since I lost. (laughs) Happy to be a part of it. That's how we do it here at Not Quite Dead. (laughs) See you guys later. This was Not Quite Dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Not Quite Dead Podcast and on Twitter at NQD underscore podcast. Follow our blog for bonus content at notquitedeadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And happy watching.